Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 25. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Dose of Leadership Podcast. I am Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in. This show today is brought to you by Audible.com. Again, if you're like me, I've talked about this before, but I love to read books, and I'm finding it more and more challenging to catch up on my interviews and my guests and learn more about them. they got a lot of books, and it's hard for me to read. Well, Audible.com helps me out. I can download their books onto my iPod, my iPad. I can listen to them as I'm driving to work. As I'm exercising, I can get caught up in all my reading. they got a special offer for all of you listeners out there. You can go to my website, go to doseofleadership.com slash audible, where you can click on many of the, the banners you see on my website, and you can download a free audiobook, and it gives you a free 30-day trial with no obligation, but uh, you can poke around and see what resources, and you get a free ebook. So uh, check them out at um, doseofleadership.com slash audible, and sign up for your free 30-day trial. I appreciate all the input, the signing up for the, um, or giving reviews on iTunes, I appreciate that. I said I would uh, read some that came across. I want to thank Lee in, uh, from Kansas who says she's listened to each of the Dose of Leadership podcasts and she's added them to her must-do projects. She's earned takeaways from each one and she thinks I'm a genuine person and, and I'm authentic and is true and it comes through in the interviews. Well, I appreciate that uh, honesty there I, and I hope I'm providing some value for all of you out there. So leave a review at iTunes. It helps out with uh, the visibility in iTunes, which uh, I don't know exactly how their algorithm all works, but uh, they do look at the reviews, and the, and hopefully it's five-star. But let me know what you think, and uh, give me some uh, feedback. Send me an email. Give me some cr- constructive criticism. Trust me, I can take it. So I appreciate all your feedback and listening and uh, supporting the show. Enjoy the interview. This one uh, hurt my head a little bit talking to Jim um, but uh, I think you'll really appreciate it. He's a deep thinker. He's a deep feeler um, when it comes to uh, leadership and uh, religion. And um, it's a very interesting interview. So I, I hope you enjoy it. Anyway, thanks for your support. Well, I'm so excited to have uh, on the show today Jim Palmer. I love what he writes about himself in the back of his latest book, Being Jesus in Nashville. He's an author. He's a speaker. He's an accused heretic, which I love that. Social media junkie, a friend, and a human being. Jim Palmer calls himself a divine nobody who champions the insane idea that religion doesn't have to divide people but can empower humankind to create a world that works for everyone. My wife turned me on to Jim um, a few months ago, and I love what he has to say and what he has to write about. And um, a lot of my message you can see on this podcast is about leadership, is about being real and about being authentic. I don't think there's enough of it in this world, and certainly as leaders, it, we're demanded to be authentic and real. And at the core of leadership, being real is being yourself and being in tune with other human beings. Jim, I think you're a master at getting to what it means to be a real human being. How are you today? I'm doing good, Richard. Thanks. I don't know if I'm mastering it. I I, I know I'm kind of stumbling forward in it. You know, uh, I guess like everybody else, um, learning to be more human and, and exploring what that even really means so well, some I, days i feel like an alien and some days i feel more human 
like I said, well, I think, you know, I said about at the core leadership is being real, understanding yourself, self-mastery is key, and to understand what it means to be, you know, it's an affair of the heart. Leadership to me is an affair of the heart. And if it's a fair of the heart, it means you got to understand and appreciate human beings. And with that, that means understanding that we, all of us, every one of us has a desire to be seen. We all want to be loved. You know, we want, we want to be compassionate, empathy, validation. Those are all the things that we want. And it seems like a lot of your writings focus on that central theme. How did you get, bring us up to speed. For those that aren't familiar with you, you've written three books. Divine Nobody, Wide Open Spaces, and your latest, Being Jesus in Nashville. I know that there's there's a huge backstory there, but just briefly bring us up to speed on how you got to this point and where you're at today. Yeah, I think particularly as it relates to um, leadership, I was kind of, I took on this notion about leadership and kind of traveled through these circles of circles of life where leadership was a lot about um, maintaining a certain image that uh, was associated with being spiritual. And, you know, this is one of the challenges that I have found along the way sometimes in, in, uh, in religious communities is this need to sort of perpetuate um, a certain front, a certain identity that we think is, is spiritual, and uh, creating a situation in, in church life where people can't be real about who they are and what their struggles are. And so I kind of started out that way, um, trying to maintain and perpetuate, uh, you know, this <laughs> image of being the leader that has it all figured out, the leader that, you know, uh, has their life together in every area, the leader who is confident and secure in everything they think, you know, and that was kind of the, well, I was groomed into uh, that way of thinking. And, you know, I remember one day having this kind of uh, self-honesty where I kind of had to ask myself, look, is this really working for me? Like, even my, my community, my spirituality, you know, I know it looks good and sounds good on paper, but, like, is this really working? Is it really satisfying uh, the deepest desires of my heart and soul? Is it leading me to a place of being and living um, a life of love and freedom and wholeness and completeness? And I would be honest, it wasn't. That wasn't happening. Um I had a great theology. I was a successful organizational leader, but on the inside, there was a lot of chaos and emptiness. And so that is what really launched me into the path of authenticity. I realized that something can't be changed unless it is fully accepted. And so I had to step back and really accept what my truth was, what my reality was, what life was like for Jim on the inside, and speak from that place. Um, and, you know, it's still the case today that the things that I am most a little worried about saying, uh, because at some point of self self-disclosure or vulnerability, you know, like when I'm a little fearful of saying it, it's almost always those times when what I say connects with people. 
and and resonates with people. And so, you know, I've come now to a place where I can see that, that one of the most central characteristics of true spiritual leadership is to be authentic about your inauthenticity, and we all have inauthenticity. Yeah. Um, but it's our willingness to be authentic about it and a willingness to express out of the, the, the struggle, the reality of what's really happening, you know, on the inside of each of us. And, I, you know, people, most people are, uh, they, they don't experience transformation because they have shame, because they think there's something wrong with them, it's, it's only them that there's some way they're flawed and defective and incurably hopeless in terms of experiencing transformation. So leadership, in my mind, is someone who inspires a conversation about where we truly are to look and see and accept ourselves where we are so we can get on with with exploring the possibilities of, of um, who we can be. Um, and so, you know, I just... I've learned for myself that the best thing I do for myself and other people is really just to be honest. I mean, I don't think that I'm such a great writer. I just think that over the years I've learned the importance of sticking to what's happening with me and being authentic, and that lands with some people. Yeah, I think you hit on a, a couple points, and I mean personally for me, um, you know, coming from a fairly type A dynamic charismatic organization with the Marine Corps. And, and even, even when I got out, I still believed that oh, perception is reality and that you have to perceive yourself as this larger than of life charismatic figure. But when I look back and replay the tape of my experiences with the Marine Corps, I was still missing the beat. I didn't understand it then because the really authentic, genuine leaders were the ones that you were just describing, the ones that were authentic and they were vulnerable. And a lot of times when people think you being vulnerable is a sign of weakness, but it's actually a, a, a great sign of strength. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think uh, actually not too long ago, um, someone that I was um, coaching, we had, I sent them on an assignment to talk to three people to um, come up with a word that best describes how they experienced this person. One of the words was courage, and he was surprised because, you know, most of us equate the word courage in a very sort of like, you know, um, we can kind of get a hold of that word in the context of, like, um, sports or taking on a great fear or fighting a great battle. Uh, the, the courage is... Uh, along those lines, it's, it's something that uh, is kind of aggressive, taking on the battles of life in the world. Um, but the but the people in his life used the word courage for him because they saw him as someone who had the courage to um, face what was inside of him. In this case, he was uh, struggled with alcoholism, and uh, and and he had. Uh, really confronted that with himself. That's the kind of courage I think that you're talking about is uh, the courage to face ourselves, the courage to say the thing that nobody's saying, the courage to see the things that people are overlooking, uh, the courage to uh, 
uh, not be silent where something needs to be spoken. And that really has to happen uh, with ourselves first, that revolution of courage um, in facing ourselves, I think, is what really uh, establishes an ethos for a person to go out and then bring that change into the world. Um, and so, you know, I think that's, you're, you're right that I think effective leadership always starts with that kind of, um, that inner courage, um, yeah. and to really encourage that in each other. Yeah. You know, um, knowing yourself and seeking self-improvement, I think is, should be a foundation for everybody. I know I had a huge leadership failing, you know, both personally, um, and, um, also on a professional level too. And it's because I wasn't being honest about who I was. And it's really not until you have a fall or you see something when you finally, however you hit bottom or hit splat, when you finally look in that mirror and you finally say, Oh, this is who I really am. And I don't like who I, I don't like who that person is being for whatever reason. Not, not that you have to beat yourself up, which is a whole nother area, another, another topic um, to overcome. But when you, truly get genuine with yourself and then you have that courage to be honest about hey this is who I am this is how I'm going to be it, it is a very courageous step and I think it's essential to becoming you know even calling yourself a leader what was your moment uh, go ahead well I was just going to say that there's so many <clears throat> there's there's really lots of layers to it um, people uh, adopt a story about themselves. And, you know, early in life or at different points in their life, they create a story about who they are. And then they go out and they read from that script and they just keep perpetuating that story. They're the lead actor. They hire the other actors. They write the script. They perform the film. They're just living out a story. And so sometimes, you know, and it's... It, a matter of having the courage to confront a story about yourself, to confront that story, to change that story, the courage to create a new story or a new narrative for your life. You know, uh, that's the kind of courage and the kind of leadership that we need. There's someone that will create those stories for themselves and will inspire new stories for other people to embrace for themselves. Um, and, but like we've been talking about before, it, you know, it has to start with yourself. How do you, you know, a lot of, when people read your, your books and your stories, you'll, you'll see this kind of, you know, and you're, you're very open, you're very honest about your, your past, your childhood, your inner struggles, how you put all your stock, your identity and being a, pastor, then you had um, a divorce, um, and then you know, then your latest book, Being Jesus in Nashville, you you write extensively how you know you started down this path, like I'm gonna you know, emulate and ask the answer the question, you know, what would Jesus do and try to be Jesus for a whole year or however long, and you ended up in a whole a completely different place. Talk to us a little bit about that that process. I just finished the book actually this morning. But talk to me about being Jesus in Nashville and um, and where you're at in your transformation, even after the book was was written, after you completed it. Yeah, I think that 
my my journey um, because of some of the uh, the trauma and difficulty of my childhood. I kind of emerged um, into adulthood with a lot of confusion and uncertainty about who I was. Um, I kind of learned early in life that my my real sense of identity and worth was all wrapped up in what I could do for other people, um, making other people happy, meeting other people's needs and expectations. And so I began to externalize my value. I didn't really have a sense of who I was or having value and significance um, and worth on my own, independently of everything else, all my work was externalized into um, something out there, accomplishing something, succeeding in something, making a person happy, meeting someone's expectations. And so my uh, religion, or at least the kind of religion that I got involved in, was was a perfect uh, match to really keep that dynamic going, because the brand religion that I got involved in just affirmed or confirmed that I did really have value on my own, that there was something terribly wrong and bad about who I was, and so all my efforts, you know, were put in trying to somehow remedy that or change myself or be something else or something better or to improve myself to be acceptable to God, to, you know, be somebody of worth and value in the world. And in the case of Christianity, all this seems to kind of get summed up in this idea of what would Jesus do? That You know, this idea that God was happy with Jesus, he's not happy with us. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out if we can try really hard to be like Jesus, then we would finally have the kind of approval and be the kind of person to have the kind of worth that um, we want, or that we're, you know, told that we should have. And so it, over the over the course of my year of being Jesus, what I, what I was realizing is a pattern is that every time I tried to mechanically or contrive scenarios where I might do what I imagined that, that Jesus would do, which in itself is sort of an insane proposition, because we know so little about Jesus' life, you know, the whole entirety of his life is condensed down to, you know, the Gospels, and and three of those Gospels are essentially just, you know, variations of the same story. Um, And then at those times, though, when I uh, acted naturally, when I felt something stirred deep inside of me, and I expressed out of that um, expressing compassion or love or, or finding that I had this sense of wisdom or intuition or understanding um, on the inside. When I just purely acted out what I most deeply felt inside, that I noticed that those were the moments when I felt most alive, felt most like... God was at work in me and through me and as me. And so it was kind of like, you know, I guess one of those Da Vinci Code kind of things in a way where it's just like a big mystery that was unraveling, you know, little by little over the course of that year. And it ultimately led to um, my discovery that uh, it's good to be Jim. 
that there is an original blessing that God created me, and I'm still the person that God created. I am as God created me, and that the trick is not to somehow manufacture being like Jesus, but it was to become more aware of the properties of God that are alive in me and to give expression to them myself. And, you know, I found that message everywhere in the Bible, but somehow I missed it, and, you know, all those years in seminary and getting my Master's of Divinity degree, I somehow was not um, able to see that um, God is wanting to express um, the realities of who God is in and through my life and humanity and experience on Earth. And uh, what I saw a little bit of unlearning happen along the way, um, it was clear as day to me, both in the Scriptures and just, you know, as a confirmation of my own heart, that all this time, all these years I spent trying so hard to be Jesus, when... Jesus wanted me, wanted to free me to be myself, to be the child of God that I am. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, the analogy of, of raising your kids. You certainly don't want your kids to necessarily be just like you. You know, maybe some parents are out there like that. But typically, when we raise our kids, we don't ask them to be exactly like us, right? I mean, we, we at some point, we send them on their way. And I guess part of your argument or your belief is that's exactly what God is wanting to do with us, correct? I mean, he... Yeah, with the, yeah. I mean, and that's exactly in a way what Jesus did with his disciples. You know, uh, Jesus pointed out from the very beginning that he was not going to be around forever, and the more he expressed that message, the more his closest followers were um, troubled by it because they had made a real attachment to Jesus of Nazareth, the historical, the person of Jesus. And Jesus, you know, would push back and say, and explain to his followers that this is a transition that needed to happen, that they shift away from their attachment to Jesus as a person, and they embrace the reality of his spirit that was alive in them. And it was time for them to then be those little Christ, to be... Um, the expression of, of love, the expression of peace and compassion um, themselves in the world. And it's kind of like there was an odd thing to happen. Despite all that, we built a religion around the personality in, of Jesus of Nazareth, and we kind of missed the idea that um, the Spirit of God is alive in us, like <clears throat> the Spirit was alive in Jesus, and we're called to give full expression to that through who we are. Do you get a lot of pushback and feedback from, maybe even from your, your organized religion friends or the people you had in the past when, when you talk like that? Do they, do they think it's um, presumptuous of you to sit there and say that you're already like God in that sense? Yeah, you know, it's. I think it's George Bernard Shaw who said, all great truths begin as blasphemy. And ultimately, this is why Jesus himself was rejected uh, by his own religious tradition and been condemned and crucified on the cross. Um, and, you know, I'm not comparing myself to that in that sense. I'm just pointing out that, um, 
you know, uh, it can, it, every day I receive, you know, criticism, hate mail, you know, from Christian people, people who identify themselves as Christians, who really want to have as a cornerstone of their beliefs about God that, you know, they, they are, they are bad, they are condemned, they are an abomination to God, and the, the, uh, the crux of the matter is that God loves us anyway, and has worked that out through, um, you know, the message that, that they preach, their interpretation of the gospel, um, which I don't think is really what the scriptures teach, but, um, so yeah, I get, I get a lot of, I mean, my, a good share of people that push back, um, but I try to hard to go back to the scriptures themselves, to go back to some of the earliest church fathers, to, um, at least, which I even did in the book Being Jesus, yeah. to establish that, you know, um, there's sort of this notion that there's a there's an orthodox kind of theology to Christianity that sort of went straight from Jesus into the Bible and has been saying ever since. And but that's not really so, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's um, but you kind of have to fight that notion. Um, or at least I kind of bump up against that notion that people will take their own interpretations of their religious community as orthodoxy and then kind of measure and judge everybody else by that. You know, I've always, I personally have always struggled with organized religion, um, have been pretty much unchurched my whole life. You know, but I do believe in God. I do believe in spirituality. I do believe that Jesus lived. But I always struggled with, okay, well, what about this guy that's a Buddhist over here? What about this? And at the at the core of it, what I always found, and I don't know what exactly all, I mean, I still try to find my way and try to find out what the truths are. But somehow I think what's always rooted in it is, is the idea of love. And the more that, and like you write in uh, Being Jesus in Nashville, the more that you stop trying to, act like somebody and you started being more like Jim and you started to connect with another human being that you tried to look this other person in the eye, become empathetic, understand where they're coming from. Isn't that exactly what Jesus would be doing anyway? And and it sounds so simple. When we say that, it sounds so simple. But but, Well, in fact, it's so, you know, it's so simple, uh, you know, that when I was when I went, when I have gone back and reread through the Gospels, it finally hit me that, in terms of really answering the question as it's stated, what would Jesus do? That the only transferable principle that's in the Gospels about the life of Jesus that anybody could follow, and I think this is pretty much it. And I think it's so simple that, like, we miss it entirely. If you look at the life of Jesus, I mean, he wasn't Jesus wasn't going and looking for something to do. He wasn't manufacturing things to do. There was no, you know, like, um, thing that, that he felt like he necessarily should do. If you go back and say the Gospels, what it seems like all that Jesus is ever doing is he's simply doing what the situation requires. 
He's simply showing up in life, responding to the situation as it requires. So what I mean by requires is he's, he's re- responding out of the inner truth and reality of who he is, uh, who he was. You know, we don't need to wheel in a different backdrop to life, drum up a lot of different things to go out and do, create, you know, tasks and programs that we need to put on our calendar to be like Jesus. All Jesus was ever doing in any moment is everything that every human being can do, which is to simply respond to the life as it unfolds and as it requires right. out of the truth and reality of who we are. And even in that, Jesus had to that. You know, we're told in the book of Luke that Jesus grew in his stature, in his wisdom, in his relationship to himself and God. So even Jesus had to work out the full extent of his identity, you know, over the course of time in his human journey. And so um, I think, which I kind of share in the book, is that, you know, um, the the thing that I think is the most profound thing about Jesus uh, and what makes him so profoundly significant has more to do with his humanity than what we suspect is, has to do with his divinity. And I'm not even sure how you separate those two entirely, and I think that was part of the point of the life of Jesus to begin with. Um, so, like you, I... I'm probably just scratching the surface myself and in really getting a hold of living and expressing the truth that um, Jesus embodied um, and and what that truth is and the full extent of it. Um, but I think when it comes back to leadership, you know, um, the, the leader as one who's willing to explore, the leader who is one who is willing to look beyond and challenge um, the things, the way things currently are, the status quo of what we think. I mean, look, there was a time when uh, the world, including, you know, religious, the religious world, believed that the world was flat. They had a very interesting theology to back it up, and then we discovered that wasn't true. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that that's part of the courage of leadership is, to be able to confront those places in our own religious tradition that really stand in contrast to who we see, you know, for example, that Jesus was, and and the way that we see that expressed, as you mentioned, in other religious traditions and other spiritualities, um, in terms of love, you know, uh, and there, there's sort of a a lot of momentum and unity around those things that are, that are really true. Um, and a lot of different religions come up with a lot of similar things because they're true. You know, truth existed ever before there was ever any organized religious system, um, you know, put around it. And the truth will still be there if every, you know, organized religious system disintegrated into nothing. So the fact that we all are sort of like stumbling into it or getting glimpses of it from different angles and in different ways, you know, isn't, you know, something that should be that surprising. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I've, learned, I've, I've learned so much from other people that have, that have come at it from other vantage points. You know, it's inspired even a deeper understanding within my own Christian faith tradition to 
um, kind of be exposed to and learn and connect with people that have um, experienced it also in, in their own way. No, I, I agree with you, and I think that's part of the reasons why, you know, one of the main reasons why I brought you on the show. You know, when you when you think of leadership in the traditional sense, you know, I look back eight, nine years ago when I started talking about leadership and, and you know, and I put together a PowerPoint presentation and I had 14 principles and and I spent a lot of time, and I still do, but it, most of my presentation was talking about how the Marine Corps did things and how I flew, you know, flying airplanes and here's how you can be better at work. And I, certainly as I've gone over, you know, gone through and I'm still scratching the surface and totally transformed in understanding that, look, it really is all about um, love and the pursuit of truth. And the Marine Corps didn't invent the leadership principles. You know, Richard Ryerson didn't invent them. Jim Palmer didn't invent them. Zig Ziglar didn't, didn't invent them. Tony Robbins didn't invent them. The leadership principles just exist. They just are. And they're there for us to discover, and they have been for millennia since the dawn of man. And I and I think you know I'm maybe I'm just late to the game on on realizing that as I'm approaching 45 years of age. But I think what you speak to, you know, understanding that those truths have always been there, and they're there for us to discover. And it doesn't matter if you're Christian, you're Jewish, or or you're atheist or whatever. We all have an obligation to exercise a leadership muscle. And what I mean by that is not so you can become, you know, advanced to the next C level you know, office or the corner office or get a promotion at work. It's about advancing humanity. And I think what's what's lacking so so much in society and in life in general is this whole application of common sense leadership, this this idea that um it is cosmic and it is difficult. It well it is difficult, but it's it's easy to understand but it's hard to implement. And it's hard to implement because it takes authentic courage. And that's what is at the root to me of all kind of spirituality, re- religious belief, is getting to that core of courageous vulnerability. I don't know what you think about that, but that's that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, in my I, life right I, now. I, I think what you're saying is really powerful. Um, you know, it would maybe be a useful for people, even you know, around leadership as I think it is in a lot of things in life, is maybe start from a place of not knowing. You know, what happens in life is that there's so much of it that we're blind to because we're starting with the sense that we already know what it is. Right. Uh, Well, I already know about God. I already know about Jesus. I already know about the Bible. I already know about leadership. I already know about all the you know. And so to really challenge people... To, um, to think about even, you know, all of life, even leadership. If, if I took leadership and if I drew a circle and called that everything that can be known of value about leadership, and, you know, it's 100%, you know, what percentage do we have of this? Maybe, you know, less than 5%. But starting from the place of, of not knowing, I don't know what leadership is. Yeah. And, and so I'm going to open be open to that. You know, most of what we know about leadership is based on a very Western cultural view of leadership. And But, you know, in other parts of the world, you know, leadership is very much more generated out of um, an inner strength 
been a charismatic performance. Yes. You know, around the world, some of the greatest leaders say very little. They're not charismatic in their personality. There's a whole other set of realities, a whole different power base of leadership that flows out of the authenticity and the truth of who they are. And I think that was a lot of the kind of leadership that Jesus exhibited. You know, the, the people, they there, there was some weight to who Jesus was, not only in his words, but in his actions, because the weight had to do with the person that he was on the inside. And so, you know, uh, people recognized him as a person of authority because of the, the weight of who he was within himself. And so I think your focus on authenticity is huge, because I don't think that we can, we're really going to go through life with that kind of profound um, leadership without going through the doors of greater self-awareness. And, you know, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it, but it's not always that easy. You know, we not only does it require courage, it also involves community and connection with other people because we tend um, to have all kinds of blind spots and can't really see all of who we are. So our connection and relationship with others is a key part of developing, you know, that kind of self-awareness. Yeah, and I think that it's not as prevalent as uh, I talk about it all the time, but even in my um, experiences in the civilian corporate sector going on 12 years, Everywhere I've worked, and I've worked at four different places, and I've even been critiqued by superiors that, you know, they said I needed to be focused more on the more type A charismatic type, and I kept telling them, and I'm like, look, that's not me. I'm, I can't be, you know, there's all kinds of ways to be leaders, and leadership comes in many forms, but first and foremost, i got to be myself. And I'm not going to be somebody that walks in with a, you know, beating somebody over the head trying to get another metric done. That's not leadership to me. And to me, leadership is about the connections, the relationships, and being willing to remove the heavy stones and, and, and take the accountability for the failures of the team. And too often what I've seen is that there is this focus, and I don't know if it's cultural or if it's um, where we've seen that that's what creates success. It's the you know cutthroat take all. Um, you've got to be barking, demanding orders, and I, I don't know. I just don't think that's genuine leadership. And maybe it's worked in the industrial age. You know, when in, in the Henry Ford line, you needed people to be obedient to you know the 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 making the Model T. I don't know, but I just don't think. That's really been a prevalent, successful leadership style, and I think what goes back to the genuine leadership and what's lacking, and even the successful ones. You know, Jim Collins writes about it in Good to Great, and you know, the, who are those great leaders? They're the ones that did act more like Jesus. They weren't the larger-than-life, charismatic figures. They were ones that were almost quirky in a sense, and they and they were they were you know passionate and intense, but they were intense for different reasons. They weren't intense about projecting an image. They were intense about the purpose, the mission, and the other hu the human beings that they were accountable for. Yeah, well, I mean, I think one of the things that you're putting, I think, your finger on is that, um, or at least one of the things that you're kind of touching on is that, that there is perhaps a, a real a difference between even, you know, leadership 
and organizational management that um, some people, there are some organizations that perhaps don't really even want leadership at all. Yeah. You know, they're really wanting um, something more akin to management um, and to be able to perform certain functions that people equate with leadership in order to, you know, um, maintain the status quo of the way uh, things are. And then, you know, there's a big discussion about are leaders made or are they born? Uh, I tend to think that every person is a leader, but it's going to look too. different um, for everyone. You know, like go to the, you know, every person should go to a dictionary and look up words like leadership, um, influence. You know, um, I think leadership has a lot to do with influence. I think it has a lot to do um, with having enough of an inner awareness and authenticity to not be so easily swayed by external forces yeah. and being able to generate um, change, uh, generate influence, a catalyst um, for something transformative in the world. And that can happen. That happens in so many different ways. You know, it, um, the poet does it one way. You know, um, the organizational uh, visionary does it a certain way. You know, it's, um, but to distill it down to its essence, I think that you're focusing on and trying to stimulate and create a dialogue, uh, shift the conversation about leadership to a discussion about that kind of authenticity and courage and self-awareness, you know, I think is a, is such a solid basis from which you can take all many different kinds of forms and expressions. Yes. Oh, I love that. Well, guys, talking to you makes my head hurt, but I like it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I think it's a gift of mine that I give people headaches. <laughs> No, I, I, you know, I'm like you. I don't have all the answers, and and I'm still scratching the surface. I've come a long way, but that's part of the the reason why I created this podcast is is to to bring and and show everybody that there there's no one way to be a leader. But I think it all starts with, and as a basis and a foundation, you've got to be honest with yourself. You got to know who you are, and sometimes that takes time, and sometimes that's pretty painful. I know that has been my case in the last five years. You know, I didn't like who I was and, and made some big mistakes, you know, both, like I said, personally and, and professionally. But the real leadership begins when you you can be honest with yourself and start looking at other human beings. I think that's the core. You know, that's the difference between management and leadership, I think, at the at the heart is that you have to be passionate about other human beings. If you're not, you're not considered a leader, in my opinion. You have to be. Yeah. You have to be in love with other human beings. Yeah, and that's you know I think what you're kind of describing is that you know birthing anything is um, is traumatic and painful. You know the 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 caterpillar to the butterfly process involves some trauma and 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 difficulty. 
and some struggle, the birth of our children, the mother who's carrying the child and giving birth um, to that life. And so I think it's the same way that all the things that you're describing, you know, like your journey, those, you know, we create um, identities and selves and we take on definition of things and try them on and we fail and they don't fit and we shut them and we move on and that it's it's so much part of the, the birthing process that we go through, you know, so they're like, we can be frustrated by the process it took, you know, there's a lot of people who will go to the grave and never have really you know, that point of self-awareness or even aware of their lack of authenticity, and so the fact that you're there is, is you know, um, I mean, I, I mean, you know, my Buddhist friend says, you know, that, that sometimes people of other religions, in their view, they're, they're so arrogant because they think that they can, like, transform their entire lives in one lifetime. And a Buddhist will, you know, feel more like you might need quite a few to ever get there. <laughs> so, you know, anybody who's, like, listening to the podcast today, you know, I think the thing is, you know, like, uh, get get some chalk, lean over, draw a new line. You know, you're, you're you know, like, there's a new beginning. Start where you're at right now. Yeah. Um, and and determine what your intentions are, what you really want, and start putting actions, lining up with those intentions. Yep. You know, it's, there are, you know, there's, it's difficult, and for that reason, sometimes people aren't doing it. But, uh, you know, the other hand, which is the good news, is that it, there's also a way that it's, the simplest thing to do, and once you start getting down that path, you start building a lot of inertial momentum around, you know, uh, living, taking on new ways of being in the world. So I think, I think we are who we are because of conditioning. Over all so many years, we've conditioned ourselves to be who we are. I think the good news is, is that we condition that. It doesn't require near the, the time and energy that, that drug us down into it. So the simplest ways of giving concrete expression to new ways of being in your life, like being authentic, you know, um, can have a tremendous impact on a person in a short period of time. Yeah, that's a great point. I love that. Well, Jim, where can, where can people find you? Um, well, a couple of places. You know, you can, I'm on Facebook, um, I'm on Twitter, I have a blog, jimpalmerblog.com. Um, you can always shoot me an email, nobody.jimpalmer at gmail.com. My Facebook page is public, so even though I'm filled up with the limited friends you have, that one can have, you know, uh, my, everything's public, so you can still comment, send me emails, interact, and so on. So those would be a few places you can track me down. Yeah, and I highly encourage everybody to do that. Uh, you're, when you're, you are a a true social media junkie and, and you, you put some great posts out there and I love, I love reading your stuff. And, um, I mean, it's, it's well thought out. You're not just telling me you're going to the store and, um, you're, you're putting some meaningful meat out there and I really appreciate it. And I highly yeah, encourage thanks, people. To... I appreciate that. I appreciate you and the, and, and the conversation that you're wanting to have and the conversation that, that you're stimulating about leadership. You know, I mean, great leaders, generate profound conversations, uh, the conversations that need to be had, and, you know, you're doing that. Well, I appreciate that. That means a lot coming from you, so uh, thank you for that. 
Well, Jim, it's been so much fun, and um, we'll have to do this again sometime. I encourage everybody to go out and find his books. Um, I just finished Being Jesus in Nashville. Um, it, it'll get you thinking, and, it, and it's a lot of fun. Jim, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Richard. All right, take care. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.